Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 170. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today's conversation is so interesting. I was talking with my guest about intuition and neuroscience and so many things. My guest today is one of the most interesting people I have ever spoken with because she's doing so many different things that would seem to be unrelated. And I can't wait to share this fascinating interview with you. So before we start, let me just tell you a bit more about the person you're going to be hearing from. Terry Marks Tarlow, PhD, is a clinical psychologist and independent researcher in private practice in Santa Monica, California. She's adjunct faculty at Pacifica Graduate Institute in Santa Barbara, core faculty at the Insight Center, Los Angeles, research associate of the Institute for Fractal Research, Castle, Germany, and visiting professor, Italian Università Nicolo Cusano, London. She trains internationally and nationally on clinical intuition as a bottom-up holistic faculty by which unconscious body-based knowledge bubbles up to conscious response. Are you curious yet? She's fascinated by the varieties of ordinary and extraordinary knowing, which address the entire context of this person in this moment, of this relationship. Dr. Marks Tarlow has authored several books, including Clinical Intuition and Psychotherapy and Truly Mindful Coloring. She illustrates all of her books herself, curates a yearly arts exhibition of psychotherapist art called Mirrors of the Mind. I'm curious about that. And immerses herself in the arts through dance, yoga, and writing opera librettos, one of which premiered at Lincoln Center in New York City in 2018. I mean, come on. (laughs) I am very fortunate to be bringing you what I found to be, and I think you will also find to be a fascinating interview with Dr. Terry Marks Tarlow. So let's just dive right in. 
Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I am very happy to be talking with someone who I know is going to be a fascinating guest. My guest today is Dr. Terry Marks Tarlow. Terry, thanks so much for being on Therapy Chat today. And thank you so much, Laura, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I'm really curious about your work. I, I found out about you through your book, Clinical Intuition and Psychotherapy, The Neurobiology of Embodied Response. I was like, oh, yeah, I want to learn all about that. And, and I know you have a workbook as well with that. So, but let's just start off by, if you will, you telling our audience a bit about yourself and your work. Absolutely. So I am a clinical psychologist. I've been in practice in Santa Monica, California since 1985. And I am really interested in uh, creativity and intuition, as you mentioned, and neurobiology. And I also really try to immerse myself in the things that interest me. So I illustrate all my books and I take creative journeys to, to far off places that I don't belong. Um, I've written a libretto. I've written two librettos for an opera that opened in Lincoln Center in New York City recently. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I know. Really exciting. <laughs> Gosh. So I'm happy to talk about any anything that you want to. Oh my gosh. Yes, that's fascinating. And I didn't catch that you illustrate your own books. I think that is so amazing because I think I'm personally very interested in the, I guess you could say how intuition, I guess, sort of like connecting the science and the the creativity and sort of spiritual aspects of intuition, you know, because people tend to be like either scientifically minded or creative and open to existential stuff and different types of perception. So this seems to be a perfect marrying of both. You know, you, you're catching right away something that's very, very important to me. It's true. People are either very left brain about, about these topics or very right brain. And one place that I try to meet them in the middle, because I, I really do try to use both sides, the artistic, the scientific, and another one of my interests that I have also written um, extensively on is nonlinear science, and especially fractal geometry. And I think that that form of science actually itself marries the art with the science of these topics, which that that's one of the most fascinating topics to me is how those things come together. So I knew you were going to be interesting to talk to, but you are already blowing my mind. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And another book called Psyche's Veil, uh, which I also illustrated. And I think the reason I came to illustrate my own books is because a long time ago, I was trying to decide between being an artist and being a therapist. 
and or being a psychologist. And I went to Rhode Island School of Design for a summer and drew the over the summer. And at the end of it, decided I didn't have enough talent and it was too lonely and I'd never be able to support myself if I became an artist. So I became a, a, and I didn't think I had enough talent. And so I became a psychologist and only came back to art because I started delving in these topics, these nonlinear topics that there didn't exist visuals for. And so when I started to think about drawing as communication and as visual communication then suddenly i was back in the in the art sphere and marrying these these two things without uh, worrying about not having talent so cool and you know i think i guess this is my own personal bias but my dad is like this very logical type of person who just really sees things like people would typically say an engineer does just very black and white, very logical. And my mom's an artist and she's always been into like crystals and, you know, meditation. And when I was a kid, I was like, oh my gosh, mom, please. But now I'm, you know, I'm a very, I can be very logical, but I also am, my soul is fed by, you know, getting those those intuitive moments and those moments of you know a deeper awareness i can't separate the two ways of thinking it's both for me right it's true when when you hang out at the edges of those things it's you really can't pull them apart and and it's it's also true that there is a spiritual feeling and spiritual edge to how these places come together i i totally uh, agree with that, especially when with the intuition and I'm getting braver about how I hold intuition and how I present it in that book by focusing on the neurobiology. It's a very grounded approach. It's, um, you know, grounding it in the body, in the senses, in the brain, in unconscious processes of picking up things below the level of awareness and, um, you know, different structures like the amygdala that are subcortical and pick up things without us even knowing it so that our bodies respond and, and our minds might not even know where it's coming from. But I've, I'm also getting bolder about it's kind of the edges of intuition that, and and not just the local kind where you're sitting in the room with someone and you're using all these cues by sight and um, you know by feel and and other sensory information, but the non-local kind where a good example is a patient brings in um, brought in my childhood dream. And a very different dream than she's ever had. And it served the purpose of breaking an impasse between us and just completely blew me away. And, and that kind of unconscious to unconscious communication is part of intuition that is it's just as ordinary, but it's also really extraordinary in so many ways. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the barriers to clinicians using tapping into our intuition and using it in our work with clients is that not knowing how to explain it. 
Yes. And because people have called it airy fairy or because people have been sexist about associating it with feminine intuition and this sort of thing, then we we almost hide and don't admit or don't want to admit how how much we all use it. But I really believe that we're that every effective therapist is tapping into intuition on a minute to minute basis. That's really my, that's my stance is that what we use to bridge that gap between theory and practice is intuition. And that we, no matter what our orientation, that we're all doing it. And not only that, I'll go so far as to say that as we help people uh, that we're working with come to healthier places, that we're teaching them to tap into their their own intuition, because I, I do believe it's the most complex faculty that we have. Can you say more about that? Like how you see intuition, its role in our lives and in our work as therapists and, and for any individual? Sure. They're, so they're, they're basically two different faculties, I'll say, two different ways of learning and uh, having memory. And one is explicit learning and memory, and that's all very conscious. It's very top down. It starts in the head. It's like having an idea and then actualizing it in the body. And then there are implicit processes, and that's the bottom up stuff. And that starts with the senses, with emotion, um, with the deep unconscious and um, knowledge bubbles up from the body into the mind through the implicit realm. And we all start life out by tapping into the implicit, not, not through the explicit. So the first two years of life, babies are learning, you know, the whole foundation for the rest of their life, their, our lives is set in the first two years through the implicit channel. So um, it's extremely, and, and the implicit, because it's, it's nonlinear, it's primarily nonverbal, it takes in, it's the, the more um, through the right brain than the left brain. And the left brain, which does the explicit stuff, operates in a vacuum doesn't it doesn't really tap into what's going on in the body except through the right brain which is the foundation for for all of us and whereas the right brain goes deep into the viscera goes into the body and the body's open to the environment so in that sense it's really only through our intuition that we have a, an open portal to the rest of the universe and if the universe itself is all interconnected, which I believe it is from a nonlinear perspective, which is a holistic perspective. You can't break the holes down into parts. The, it, it all fits together uh, without really clean boundaries between. So that faculty, the implicit processes and intuition is the only one that has that level of openness. It's the only one that takes the full context into account and it doesn't break things down and it doesn't operate in a line. It operates in a, in, 
you know, in a more holistic way and um, integrating all of the senses holistically as well. So it's, it's sort of like um, the reason that I think it's not just clinicians. So it is our most holistic faculty. It operates much quicker and automatically than the analytic side. And it is the most complex because it's able to process the full context. And I think, I think psychotherapy is one of the most complex endeavors we can do because it's not just solving a problem. It's dealing with a person who's got an entire history with developmental history that comes into play in every moment. And the pe- people are often talking about the whole rest of their lives. Plus it's how those dynamics play out in the room between the therapist and, and the person. And so it's incredibly complex and the analytic side just can't capture that complexity the way that intuition can. And then for patients, we need intuition, especially in this day and age where there is complete information overload and where we can't really look to generations that preceded us to guide us in the same way that maybe hundreds of years ago when expectations were in place and people copied the generation before, etc., rules and that kind of guidelines and external information was a lot more effective than today when we have to sort through so much complexity. So unless we're moving from the inside out, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not very effective. Is that too long? No, no. But the last thing you said, when you said, unless we're moving from the inside out, I wonder if you could just expand on that a little. Sure. I, I tend to think of, of, uh, of intuition as a way of moving from, from the inside out, as opposed to the more um, rational, which is often from the outside in. Well, if somebody tells us what to do, we're moving from the outside in. When we have a, a felt sense of how we're feeling, what decision we want to make, that that's moving from from the inside out and 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 as does creativity and as does the imagination and so all of that comes into play with intuition and i think is the most solid way for for anybody to move and that doesn't mean moving from the inside out as in blocking out information but it does mean processing information and 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 then coming to where one stands with it from from the integrity of of our full selves and that can only be done through intuition thank you for going into that a little more there about that last part i even have a a, a developmental model of of how that works which is in is in the book that you have the uh, clinical intuition in in psychotherapy um, book and it's I I can try to explain it if you're if you're interested it's um it's a little bit complicated but essentially the, the um, hippocampus which is the the memory center of of our brains is 
also in rats and other mammals. That's, by the way, the, the um, approach that I take in clinical intuition and in um, psychotherapy and more broadly is to connect our human intuition with animal intuition because it turns out that our emotional and motivational circuitry is basically the same. It's pretty much identical. So the stuff I was talking about that happens in the first two years of life not only happens in humans, but it happens in, in all mammals, that through parenting and attuned parenting and, and secure attachment, etc., animals learn to navigate in the environment and start out being dependent on caretakers in order to in order to come into themselves. And so the hippocampus in other mammals is the physical is is used for physical navigation through the environment like in rats and there is a guy named Busaki who is a nonlinear researcher who studies physical navigation in rats and he's got this two-part theory about how rats get oriented in the environment and the first one is from the inside out, a rat needs to be able to explore its environment thoroughly. It needs to be able to, to move through the environment and, and approach any point from, any, from every other point by feel. And once it does that, then an internal map develops and it can use information. It sort of coordinates all the senses and coordinates the senses with the motor capacities. And then once that's been done and, a, and an internal map has been formed, the rat can then use information from the outside in. So it can look around and see a, a water dish or something like that and have a sense of where that is in the environment. So when I was talking about inside out and outside in, in humans, the hippocampus not only is used for physical navigation, but it turns out we use it to navigate through social space also. And that's really what memory does. It helps us navigate through social space. It's not just memorizing facts. It's really how do we move in the world? And so we have to have that same two-step process where we get oriented by having all of our senses and our and our body come into alignment so that it's all working together and that we can have maps from the inside of the outside. And then we're moving, you know, by from the inside out through intuition by feel. That's fascinating. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my Issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. 
The Institute for Creative Mindfulness is the EMDR therapy training brainchild of Dr. Jamie Marich, a clinician and author who's on a mission to confront stigma around mental health, trauma, and dissociation. The Institute, informed by Jamie's work, teaches a somatic, expressive, bottom-up approach to EMDR therapy that does not treat dissociation like a dirty word. ICM empowers their students to navigate dissociation as a normal response to trauma and stress when it shows up. Dr. Jamie Marich is out and proud on various levels about her own recovery and is a strong believer in the healing capacities of EMDR therapy and helping our clients to heal from the impact of trauma. I and two of my team members have been trained by the Institute for Creative Mindfulness directly with Jamie, and I was impressed with how dissociation really was treated as just a normal aspect of trauma therapy work, which it is. Both Jamie and the consultants were matter of fact about if and when dissociation arises, it's okay, it's normal, and here's how you can help the client in that situation. The Institute for Creative Mindfulness is offering a coupon code to save 15% off any program offered by ICM. This includes their EMDR therapy basic training programs and a wide variety of their home study, advanced topics, and other CE offerings. Go to instituteforcreativemindfulness.com and use promo code 15OFF for listeners. There's a link in the show notes. You can copy the promo code and use the link right there in the show notes to make it easy. We all know that small actions can make a big difference in our lives. I know for me, I can be in a terrible mood, go out somewhere and see a stranger, make eye contact and just smile at them and find suddenly I feel good. Whether it's practicing mindfulness a few minutes each day, movement practices, small actions can have big benefits, like how taking care of your gut can support whole body health. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. Your body is an ecosystem and great health starts in the gut. Your gut is a central hub for various pathways through the body and a healthy gut microbiome means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, our immune systems, and more. Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com living and use code 25living to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com living, code 25living. I'm always wanting to consume more about the felt sense and what's really happening there because it's, I guess, because it's a nonverbal process. It's so hard to explain it. It, it is. Yeah, it is hard to explain it. And, um, and yet the nonverbal is, is pretty much everything. You know, it's, I guess for in, in general, it's the difference when, when somebody has a dilemma and their their immediate reaction is to go to 20 different people and ask for div- advice and everybody gives a different answer and they're left more confused than ever mm-hmm. <laughs> um then we can you know pretty easily tell that they're trying to operate from the outside in and it's not working very well or in therapy if our patients come to us and they're just looking for us, looking for signs from us about what, what they think we think that they should do. They're trying to use us, you know, to, to, again, to operate from the outside in when really what they need is the support and the foundation 
to sit for a moment with all of it and and find what's right for them from from inside and so i guess that model does provide a bit of a, a bit of structure to to this topic of intuition which so often is is so hard to get our our heads around and and be able to to articulate yes yes i really want to ask you i hope this is going to fit when you talked about the the first 2 years of life being the foundation for everything about the way we are in the world basically right i'm really curious because the people my work is mainly working with people who have complex trauma and you know developmental trauma so you know i feel and believe that children use their intuition it's how they sense you know themselves in the world and how they know what's going on but that we adults through you know traditional parenting tend to kind of make them lose their connection with that absolutely i i agree with you 100% that so many parents are under the illusion that because a baby can't talk that they don't understand what's going on in the environment right and and then infants and young children are exposed to things that they're also taught they're not supposed to be paying attention to so we adults wind up teaching children how to go unconscious when those are the message the messages that we're not supposed to pay attention to the awful thing that is being heard in the bedroom or or something like that and and we do we teach we teach children how to dissociate and how to disconnect that way whereas if you come into parenting with the assumption that babies understand everything emotionally and that understanding everything emotionally is actually more sophisticated than understanding it cognitively yes then we can honor the sensitivity and the i mean exquisite sensitivity of of babies and 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 children and and protect them from uh, this this problem of of teaching them how to be unconscious and then having to go into therapy in order to try to to reconnect with what is naturally connected to begin with yeah exactly because you know when thinking about what you said children understand they know what's going on they see and understand what's happening and we give them the message pretend you don't know this and then <laughs> they do that to protect us <laughs> they're the child that's right you know right because they need to serve our needs and when our needs include <laughs> them not paying attention to what we don't want to deal with yeah. then we're really creating a problem as you were talking then i was just thinking about the practice in bali with with babies apparently a baby is not put down is never touches the ground for the first 6 months because 
babies are considered closer to heaven and then and and they're honored that way and they're honored by being held and held off the ground so to me that's a sort of a spiritual acknowledgement of of in some ways how much closer to to this interconnection between mm-hmm. everything than than many of us are especially when we lose when we lose that sens- sensibility if we get two in our heads we we lose the connection between our bodies and the rest of the universe yeah so i was wondering one of the things that came up for me when you said that about the first two years of life is what happens to a person's intuition if they are made to be dissociative in that time like maybe because whatever needs they have the parent reacts to and they you know the child shuts down because of that Mm -hmm. well and I think that it sounds like a lot of the people that you're working with in your practice may be people who have had that happen there's a lot of evidence so by the way what what we're really talking about here is interpersonal neurobiology yeah which is a a relatively new field and my mentor uh, one of my mentors, Alan Shore, um, has taken attachment theory. So that this idea about the first two years of life is is um, straight attachment theory, and he's really translated attachment theory into what's going on in the brain and nervous system of in, in the process of, of those first two years of life developmentally and, and which really grounds the whole thing. And it turns out um, that we often mistake trauma as being a sort of a one-time event. Someone gets in a car accident or somebody goes to goes to war and is is exposed to to really scary stuff but uh it turns out that there is a really much subtler form of trauma that does develop in the first two years of life that's relational trauma which happens if the the caregiver usually the the mother is is not well attuned to the needs to the emotional needs of the of the baby and and then out of that rupture there's a there's often a shutdown and the dissociation occurs which sets that baby up for a predisposition to be traumatized later in life and a predisposition to other psychiatric problems and there's um really as a developmental theory regulation theory which is attachment theory plus the brain and nervous system is is the most successful and predictive of of all the developmental theories and for that reason it is so important um if 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 a if a patient or a client comes in who's traumatized it's really important to understand whether that is a one-time kind of trauma that happened later in life or whether there's been this kind of very early trauma that isn't, it's in the body, it's in implicit processes, but it is not, if it happens before, if it starts before age two, 
it may not, there may, may be no autobiographical memory at all. And yet the body registers it at this implicit level. Yeah, so true. And I, I hope all the therapists who are listening will consider that when working with someone and saying this person presents as if they've experienced trauma, but they don't have a trauma history, you know, because oftentimes they don't know of a trauma history, but that's right. They're showing you that there is one. That's right. And sometimes it's even totally paradoxical in that one of the, one of the major forms of insecure attachment, which is avoidant avoidant and dismissive attachment, if you ask that person what their childhood was like, they will often say it was great. Nothing. They had a perfect family. They had a perfect family. And so that way of not being able to tap into what was their own emotions and or having vivid uh, memories of, about childhood itself is a, is um, a form of of trauma. Yes, thanks for saying that. And that's you know I think that's one of the big dilemmas of working with people who have that experience is that you don't want to deny the way they report that it was. And they're also giving you information that it means that it likely, you know, their needs weren't met and they don't know how to articulate that because they are disconnected from it. Their needs weren't met and they learned how to self-regulate and meaning they learned how to take care of their own needs themselves, um, either by rocking, sucking their thumb, um, what, whatever. It, Twirling it, their hair. Rolling their hair, their hair, yeah, right. And addictions uh, fall into this category many times. That 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 is a form of self-soothing and self-regulating, where of of taking care of themselves alone, as opposed to towards relationship, as as the way of, of soothing upset and and calming the nervous system. Mm, this is so interesting. So my next question for you in in this realm is how can anyone and people ask me about this often because like you're talking about I do work with people and trying to connect with their own intuition and to trust their inner knowing and people will say how do I know the difference between my inner knowing or my intuition and like a trauma response, like a fight or flight or, you know, a fear response that's saying this is a dangerous situation when, you know, it doesn't seem dangerous. And it's so it's very confusing. And I think for therapists, too, that can be really confusing. Mm -hmm. That is true. When people have been highly traumatized, then their amygdala, which is the, the structure in the brain that picks up safety or danger is hyper hyper vigilant and and when that happens there can be a, a sort of a false reading about danger so depending on what we're talking about having intuition about the safest way to answer your question is to say that intuition is going to operate most fully in all of us 
when we feel safe and because when we feel safe, then, and in, um, as I said, I, I, I like to connect human intuition with, with animal, animal intuition. And in doing that, there, there are two different circuits that I think it taps into that one is the seeking circuit. And that's the sort of most the granddaddy of them all for, for positive experiences. It's the, it's the circuit that makes us want to go into the world and, and get our needs met. And then the second one is the play circuit and all mammals play and all children need to play and they only play when they're safe. And I think that in, in its most kind of primitive form that, that intuition is in a sense a, a form of play. It's, it's playing with the world and playing with ideas, playing with imagination and playing with possible futures. And we have to, we really do need to be safe in order to play. A, a traumatized child does not play and a traumatized animal does not play. So already what you're talking about of having the intuition that there's danger in the room is not that's not a safe room and yet that is that is a form of intuition and it is an important one it just uses different circuits in in a sense and i think how do you tell the difference well if you know that you have been traumatized and then and you know that you have that hypersensitivity then I think you have to trust that you can't trust it automatically, that you have to actually gather more feedback because it won't necessarily be trustworthy. Yeah. So that makes sense to me. And so if like, for example, let's say, let's say someone is talking about their partner and they've been trying to be more, more vulnerable, asking for what they need from their partner. And they say, I know he's not going to meet my need. It's not possible. He can't. I just know this deep in my soul. That's a great example. I mean, I, really, Laura, the way that when someone says that to me, I, I actually say that that is a trauma. That is a traumatized statement because in a healthy relationship, we shouldn't even try to know what someone is going to do, how they're going to respond. Predicting the future is not the best use for intuition. And I'm not a big fan of it because chaos theory tells us that the, the, the future is fundamentally unpredictable. And no matter how well we know or can model the present. So that kind of intuition, not only am I skeptical about, but I I, I don't think it's healthy because when partners do that with each other, when they're actually scripting out what the other one's going to say, it's a non-relational response. And it's a, tra it's a traumatized response because the way I view trauma is that it's the past is determining the present and the future. Yes. And if, you know, if the future isn't open, then you're in trauma mode. Now, that said, so I will, I will say to people, um, you know, that's a, that you're, that's a traumatic response. And, um, and unless you can open it up, you know, to, to find out what's going to happen, then there's no chance 
that your partner will meet your needs. There's no chance at all. However, that said, if the person is saying that because, you know, over and over they've tried and then, and they can't, you know, and they just absolutely can't get their needs met and have really truly been open in expressing themselves and letting their partners express themselves, then they probably need to leave the relationship. You know, then uh, something has been broken inside and they're, they, they realize that they, they cannot trust that partner and need to leave. So there could, you know, that, that could be an intuitive awareness, but it's also a, a highly traumatized and defensive response. That answer is just right for me because, yes, obviously, if they are in an unsafe relationship and they, you know, they see that it's not changing, even though they feel like they're giving every effort and the other person isn't putting in any effort, that that's different information. But it still doesn't mean that you can predict the future, but it's more of a you're your intuition is telling you this is not working. This is not healthy. But it's so common for couples to do that to one another, you know, to to say, I know how he's going to respond, so I'm not even going to say it. Right. I can't ask him that because he can't possibly do it. He's just not capable. Yeah. And that's, that is, is a basically a defensive mode where we're not even giving a chance for for anything to be different. Yeah, it's kind of saying there are not unlimited possibilities. There's only one possibility. And I know what it is and I'm going to preempt it. Yeah. And I'm going to let let the let the guy have a chance. Yeah, which is an attempt to keep yourself safe, but if you can see that it's a trauma response and not a it's not actually what your intuition is telling you deep inside your soul. It's more like, because it, you know, I think your soul would probably say, well, what if this time could be different? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And your soul might say, but I'm still in this relationship and I'm probably here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but the, that distinction that you're wanting to make between a traumatized response and intuition is so important. It, it's so important. And it's actually for us therapists as well, really important because we have to make that distinction when we, when we respond to the people we're working with as well. The Institute for Creative Mindfulness is the EMDR therapy training brainchild of Dr. Jamie Marich, a clinician and author who's on a mission to confront stigma around mental health, trauma, and dissociation. The Institute, informed by Jamie's work, teaches a somatic, expressive, bottom-up approach to EMDR therapy that does not treat dissociation like a dirty word. ICM empowers their students to navigate dissociation as a normal response to trauma and stress when it shows up. Dr. Jamie Marich is out and proud on various levels about her own recovery and is a strong believer in the healing capacities of EMDR therapy and helping our clients to heal from the impact of trauma. I and two of my team members have been trained by the Institute for Creative Mindfulness directly with Jamie, and I was impressed with how dissociation really was treated as just a normal aspect of trauma therapy work, which it is. Both Jamie and the consultants were matter of fact about if and when dissociation arises, it's okay, it's normal, and here's how you can help the client in that situation. 
the Institute for Creative Mindfulness is offering a coupon code to save 15% off any program offered by ICM. This includes their EMDR therapy basic training programs and a wide variety of their home study, advanced topics, and other CE offerings. Go to instituteforcreativemindfulness.com and use promo code 15 for listeners. There's a link in the show notes. You can copy the promo code and use the link right there in the show notes to make it easy. Are you going through menopause or perimenopause? It can be a struggle to find comfort in your body with night sweats, hot flashes, and so many other uncomfortable symptoms. Hormone Harmony is a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, created by Happy Mammoth. They are dedicated to making women's lives easier using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout women's lives. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CHAT at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code CHAT for 15% off today. The Institute for Creative Mindfulness is the EMDR therapy training brainchild of Dr. Jamie Marich, a clinician and author who's on a mission to confront stigma around mental health, trauma, and dissociation. The Institute, informed by Jamie's work, teaches a somatic, expressive, bottom-up approach to EMDR therapy that does not treat dissociation like a dirty word. ICM empowers their students to navigate dissociation as a normal response to trauma and stress when it shows up. Dr. Jamie Marich is out and proud on various levels about her own recovery and is a strong believer in the healing capacities of EMDR therapy and helping our clients to heal from the impact of trauma. I and two of my team members have been trained by the Institute for Creative Mindfulness directly with Jamie, and I was impressed with how dissociation really was treated as just a normal aspect of trauma therapy work, which it is. Both Jamie and the consultants were matter of fact about if and when dissociation arises, it's okay, it's normal, and here's how you can help the client in that situation. The Institute for Creative Mindfulness is offering a coupon code to save 15% off any program offered by ICM. This includes their EMDR therapy basic training programs and a wide variety of their home study, advanced topics, and other CE offerings. Go to instituteforcreativemindfulness.com and use promo code 15 for listeners. There's a link in the show notes. You can copy the promo code and use the link right there in the show notes to make it easy. If the therapist is trying to stay connected to their intuition, but their sense about their client and what the client's presenting in that, in that moment is fear-based versus grounded, you know, they, they aren't going to make the same clinical decisions, I would think. That's right. And if the therapist is is tapping into their own faculty in a fear-based or traumatized way, then the same is true. And which is why I think when when we work 
in a fully relational way, um, which I really aspire to do, especially when it comes to these kinds of things about relationships, like when a person comes in and they want feedback about whether their partner is abusive, for example, and the kinds of things they're talking about may be fairly subtle, like, uh, you know, scowling or or saying that's ridiculous or you know things things that that are dismissive but mm, some people might say it's abusive and other people might not then our own history our own developmental history and our own sense of how we feel about relationships and our own tolerance with our partners and all of that's going to come into play in something that appears to be an objective question, but there are no truly objective questions. And yeah. my, my way of dealing with that is I, I tend to cop to my biases. I tend to really want to both say to people when I'm shooting from the hip and drawing on intuition and I don't know why I will tell them that, but also the kinds of relationship questions that we're talking about I will tell them what, you know, what my bias is uh, about, um, about relationship. And I, I tend to be for them. I tend to, you know, be for helping people understand and, and be more empathic towards where their partners are and in, in attempts to, to, to work it out um, rather than, you know, very quick to say, okay, leave, leave the relationship. Kind of thing, um, but I, I I do feel that it's my ethical responsibility, really, to to share to share those biases from the start. Yeah, I think you know if it's really a minefield potentially to to respond to that question, even you know without knowing of your own biases and being upfront with them with yourself and to the client. Right. Yeah. I, I bring that one up because it just happened a week ago. And so it's very fresh in my mind. Person, person coming in and, and really wanting feedback about whether her husband's abusive or not. And it being very, very, you know, not am, am, ambiguous. Like if, if she were being hit or, you know, something like that, it's, it's, it's obvious what the answer is. But especially when people can't see their role in provoking or in not knowing how to step out of an escalation, then, you know, then it gets even more from a nonlinear point of view. There are always, there are always two people in a relationship and um, both people really create it and co-create it. And it's very, very important to understand that co-creation role in in coming to our intuition about what we need to to grow and sometimes we need sometimes we do need to leave to grow and sometimes we need to to stay engaged but learn how to uh, set boundaries or disconnect in other ways which if we can't do that if we're codependent that also blocks intuition Mm. so like energetic boundaries yes energetic boundaries exactly exactly that's interesting what you said because you know i'm very much i would never encourage someone to stay in a relationship that was abusive and 
you know, basically I want my clients to feel empowered to make their own decisions about everything in their lives. But, you know, we have a role as sort of helping them explore. And even in that way, we can take it in a certain direction if we're not aware of our own biases. And even when we are aware of our own biases, we often take it in a direction, you know, but at least it's an informed direction. Yes, exactly. Yes, that's so true. I I think, too, the question about abusiveness, when someone has a trauma history, and particularly related to unmet attachment needs, which we really don't often identify as having a trauma history, we can experience the current relationship and certain things that take us back to feeling ignored or abandoned, rejected. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly, your intuition is right on. That's exactly what was going on in in this, uh, with this person who, who brought that question to me is that she had cut her father out of her life after years and years and years of um, his just not showing up and also um, being cruel at times. She had finally cut the, the, cut, cut the link and had felt good about that. And then about four months later, suddenly this anger is coming up towards her husband and it's all um, those unfinished issues because when we physically cut people off or when we go to a different geographic place in order to try to resolve an issue, it doesn't actually get resolved in our heads unless we do the inner work as well. So this is the opportunity for her to do that inner work and then and then see how she feels about her husband. Yeah, so true. And that's a little, definitely a little different from the typical paradigm of you deserve better than that. Just leave. If someone doesn't treat you right, you don't have to put up with it, you know, and sure you don't. But at the same time, if you're not time, there's a reason that the divorce rate is, you know, more than 50%. That's not because all the people are terrible in, in, in the world. It's because we don't know how to honor differences in, in the other and take our partner as our teacher and take the struggles that come up in marriage as a spiritual mandate to grow. We don't know how to do that. We project it out. Yeah, conflict resolution is not our strong suit in this country. (laughs) (laughs) Conflict is a strong suit, but not the resolution. That's right. (laughs) It's so true. My, my brother was uh, recently nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, his organization that he started, which is the, the world's largest peace organization. So I'm, I'm just thinking, as you said that, that maybe that sort of rubbed up on, rubbed off on me that, you know, that this, I just really have a strong leaning towards conflict resolution, towards finding, finding the harmony between and not demonizing the the other person. Yeah, that you are full of surprises. <laughs> Your brother was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. You casually mentioned, goodness. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I, I feel the same way as you that um, the only way to live is with love and compassion. And not that I am always in that by any means. And that's my, you know, ongoing life's journey. But, you know, war is not the answer. Right. Right. Actually, the, the love piece of this, um, I just uh, co-wrote a, a chapter with Alan Shore on love, love as, as kind of the leavening force of, of play and creativity. And um, that's the, the last book that I did is called Playing Creativity and Psychotherapy, also with Norton. It's an edited book. And and we've been talking about love more. And I think that therapists need to be talking about love more and recognizing that it, uh, how potent, potent an ingredient it is within therapy, even not just, you know, to cultivate in marriage and between spouses or people dating, but, but that really it, it, I think is kind of, one of the hidden healing elements, maybe the most important at some level, is is the love that we feel for the people that we're working with and, and how much that's at the basis of compassion. That's beautiful. I agree. And it, it's interesting because sort of as a parallel to what we were saying in the beginning of our conversation that like intuition has been somewhat of an off limits topic in therapy for so long. Love is too. Yeah. Yeah. Love was associated with erotic transference and such a no, no that, uh, and, and then all of the stuff about you can't touch, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't give a hug and all this stuff. Absolutely. It's, it's, it takes courage, I think, to go against, and that's part of intuition, isn't it? Is is having the courage to 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 go by those inner senses of of what's right and what needs to happen, as opposed to practicing defensively and fearfully, uh, according to third party payer mandates or fear of being sued. Fear of being sued, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're if you're not, I mean, we should all practice in an ethical manner, of course, and do no harm. But if you're not, if you're more focused on covering yourself from potentially being sued, how can you be doing? Like, how open heartedly are you practicing? If you feel like every client is a threat to you in some way, that that's right. Sounds awful. That's going to block intuition, <laughs> right there. That's you know, it's yeah, in principle operating. And then there's a trauma principle operating. Exactly. Terry, this has been so fascinating. And I am grateful for you giving your time to me and our audience. I think I could pick your brain for probably months. Oh, you're welcome to pick my brain for, for months if, you, if you'd like to anytime. Oh, I'd love to talk with you again, honestly. But I know that you have some uh, events coming up where people can be with you in person. Can you talk about what what you're doing and where people can find you? Sure. I have a couple of different events. The the one that I really want people to know about, I'm so excited about. I, I What I didn't mention about myself is that I've been a yogini for more than 40 years and I've been called a, um, a pretzel in a former life. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think uh, um, it's probably true. That um, I've been invited to go to Kripalu, which is in uh, Stockbridge, Massachusetts, and it's kind of like the one of the yoga meccas of the the world, really. Mm. Uh, it's kind of like Esalen of the of the yoga world on the East Coast, and I am doing a three day workshop on clinical intuition, which should be really fun. So people don't need to be. Uh, to practice yoga, yoga even because we're not going to do that. But in between sessions, they can do that and take do all the other R and R stuff that's available at the um, center. That will be on March eighth through the tenth. And another thing, we were talking about the interpersonal neurobiology, and I just agreed to do a workshop on understanding interpersonal neurobiology with the Insight Center in Los Angeles, and that will be in April. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, and that one will be a, a six-hour straight one-day workshop, Saturday workshop. Another event I am uh, was invited to Yale, um, Yale's Divinity School, and um, I'm going to do a panel on, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy, but epistemology for transpersonal pathology. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of those those woo-woo edges of, of intuition. And um, but people can find these things um, on my website website, which is Marks Tarlow, my last name, M-A-R-K-S-T-A-R-L-O-W dot com under events. It has um, these various things and I would really love um, especially people on the East Coast, because I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, I'd love to see people in Massachusetts or out here if uh, if they're interested in going further into some of these topics. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. So let me ask the event at Kripalu, is it for therapists only or is it for anyone? There is for therapists. Okay. And- there is CEU credit available, and actually, so is the workshop for therapists. I, I um, sometimes uh, give talks and do podcasts and things like that, but most of the time, I'm I work directly with therapists. Wonderful. Well, I hope that it doesn't fill up before people get a chance to register for the one at Kripalu, because I know that a lot of people here on the East Coast are going to be really interested in that. Oh, wonderful. That would be lovely. I think we'll have a great time. Yeah. So I'll be sure to include your website, um, a link to your website in our notes for this episode that will be on everyone's phones when they listen. And Terry, thanks again so much for being my guest today. Absolutely. Thank you, Laura, so much for inviting me. And anytime I would love to come back. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Terry Marks Tarlow. See why I said that this was such an interesting interview? She is a very interesting, multifaceted person. And I was really grateful that she agreed to come on the show. I'd love to know what you thought about this episode. Please get in touch with me by using SpeakPipe, or you can just send me an email. You'll find SpeakPipe on my website, therapychatpodcast.com. And you can email me at therapychat dot podcast at gmail.com. I appreciate your support. Take care. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today.
With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.